Hey team, welcome back to another month, another webinar, and we're here talking about how to make 100k through renovations this year. I'm your host, Ed McKnight, and today, just making sure my mic's actually on, uh, and today I'm joined by Ilsa and Danny from Opus Accelerate. Now, I know there were some issues that I've seen down in the chat about people not being able to get the link for tonight's webinar, maybe it being broken. So what I've asked Danny to do is she's just sending out another email to all 500 odd people who are registered for tonight's webinar to make sure that everybody's there. So we might just have a chit chat for a bit while we wait for that to be sent and also while uh, everybody starts to come on because we often get a really good hit rate for this specific one. Now the interesting thing about tonight though is we're not just going to talk about things theoretically, we're also going to go into case studies of real New Zealanders who are building wealth, and we're going to show you a case study of somebody who is just 25 and has made $100,000 through renovating their property, and then we're going to show you another case study of somebody just over twice that age, somebody in their 50s who is renovating properties with the expectation that they're going to get 100k passive income through property. So when we talk about how to make 100k through renovations this year, it's not just some idea that we've come up with. These are real investors that we know that we're working with that are actually achieving those results. Now, Danny, have we got that sent off to everybody? 30 seconds and it'll be there with you. Well, everybody currently on obviously has already got the correct yeah. link. Uh, for everybody else, I'm sure they'll come through in a minute. Now, also, just before we dive into it, walk us through how we met these two investors who we're going to hear from tonight. Sure. So the first one, Kathy. So we have a 25-year-old who uh, is the first person in her family, from both sides of her family, who ha has been so motivated to buy her home, her own home. No one on either two sides of her family has owned their own home. And so she actually came through, she was a podcast listener, Property Academy podcast, and she has been educating herself over the last couple of years to get ready whilst she has been frantically saving. Uh, she is 25, wanted to buy property on her own, uh, is on a really good six-figure sales-related uh, salary plus commission, and she works six days a week. So I know some people were challenged to say, how could you possibly put that together? But she has been saving, educating, and then she reached out and said, look, I think I'm almost at that point where finance is uh, possible. Can you help me tweak my plan? And then hand-in-hand hand with her broker, we were able to get her ready. So a first generation property owner. And then the second uh, case study we're going to go through tonight, how did we meet these people? Yeah, great. So um, so they were actually personal friends and they are in property related industry. Well, the wife, Lisa, is. And I came across her through my own personal renovations, actually, uh, probably four years ago uh, in Whangarei, where she and Jeremy live. And that's where we intersected. She was seeing all these crazy things I was doing with my rental properties. And then she said, oh my gosh, I have to like, why are we not doing this? We're in the property field. How are we not getting these benefits? And she could see the rent, the, the great rents that were coming out of them. She could see how much it was helping local community groups, especially where social housing was involved. And uh, she initially had to really convince her husband, Jeremy, that, hey, we need to do this. And I think why it's so important to share the story is they have just turned 50 and they immigrated from South Africa where they 
relinquished all the wealth I had previously created. So about two years ago, we started communicating. She'd seen quite a few projects of mine um, and then also of our other clients. And she just decided, okay, we have to do this. There's no time to lose. If we're going to start, we're going to start now. And they were so driven and wanted to be so involved in their own education journey um, that I think it shows uh, it's never too late to start if you're committed to your goal. Excellent. We're going to get started now as these people are still coming through. And of course, tonight we are talking about how to make 100k through renovations this year. Now, here's what you're going to get tonight. We're going to do the whole webinar for free. You're going to get the recording sent out tomorrow. We're going to get any data that we share tonight absolutely for free. And also the Q&A at the end. The one thing we don't send out are the slides. Now, little incentive to stay till the end because... I know that sometimes you want to learn about something, but you need a little incentive to really stick around. So if you stay till the end, we're going to invite you to a live deal analysis workshop. This is an online workshop, and usually this would only be for Opus Accelerate clients and investors. But if you stay to the end, we're going to get you along to this and you're going to be able to see a professional property investor analyse a property deal and that's probably going to be Ilsa Wolf. One last note, <coughs> please send all of your messages to everybody. So when you send a chat in, which is one of the great parts of these webinars, just make sure you've selected that you're chatting back and forth with everybody so you can answer each other's questions. The other thing is make sure you put your questions in the questions section. Ilsa and I don't have a laptop in front of us, and because of that, we can sometimes lose questions if you put them in the chat. Now, you might be wondering, why should I listen to these guys? Uh, first of all, my name's Ed. I'm an economist and property investor, and I host New Zealand's number one business podcast, The Property Academy. And likely, quite a few of you guys on tonight will have been listening to that show. We've had 5.7 million downloads, and on top of that, we also own, and I'm glad you said wow, Elsa. I hope everybody heard that. I heard a wow. Um, you've been one of our listeners from day one. And we also own both Informed Investor and NZ Property Investor magazine. Uh, to my right, you've got Elsa Wolf, who has been a full-time property investor for 15 years. And she owns a massive $19 million Ooh portfolio based on running the renovation strategies you're going to hear about tonight. She also writes for New Zealand Property Investor magazine and has completed over a hundred renovations. And a little to her right is Danny, who comes all the way from Brazil and started investing at age 19. She is a qualified financial advisor, owns four investment properties and is currently subdividing her own home. Now, just before we get into the case studies, I, I just want to have a little, little real talk. Here's the thing with existing builds in 2023. There are some strategies that used to work that no longer do. So, for instance, purchasing an existing property and doing nothing to it, it doesn't work anymore. That all comes down to the current tax environment we now find ourselves in. You see, back in March 2021, Jacinda Ardern and Grant Robertson came out and introduced what's called the interest deductibility rules. And effectively, what that does for you guys renovating properties is it taxes your property as if you don't have a mortgage, despite the fact that you still have a mortgage to pay. So if you think about it for a second, what would happen to your tax if you didn't have a mortgage? Zero debt to the bank. Your property 
would have way better cash flow. It would be way more profitable because you're not spending 20, 30, 40, 50 grand paying back interest to the bank. Okay, so imagine the tax you'd have to pay if your property was that profitable. Now imagine paying that tax and paying the mortgage to the bank. That's why doing nothing for an existing property no longer works. You need to renovate if you are going to invest in existing properties. Similarly, it doesn't work just sitting there and hoping that interest deductibility is going to get reversed. It may do, and it may happen after the next election, but it also might not happen. And so creating a long-term investment strategy based on hope doesn't work for us, doesn't work for other property investors either. And giving something a lick of paint, a once-over, again, that's not going to get the rent up enough to, to counteract those higher taxes. But we do have some strategies that can work in today's market, and you're going to hear these two case studies. First of all, the story of the 25-year-old Aucklander who is a first-generation property owner and has built $100,000 of equity in her property. And then secondly, you're going to hear the story of people twice her age who are building a $100,000 passive income based on properties in Whangarei. Now, just before we get into those case studies, though, I want to recap for anybody new here tonight, the six steps that have the biggest impact on rent when you are renovating. And i tell you what, Danny, you've heard enough of me tonight. <laughs> to walk us through the six steps that have the biggest impact on rentability, what we call cash flow hacking. Definitely. So as it was saying, a lick of paint no longer works anymore if you want to get ahead this year. So we do have six very specific steps to get you the maximum out of the, your existing property. So we're going to quickly walk you through them. I know some of you have heard about it before, but it's always good to get uh, and refresh it on your, on your mind. So step number one is add an extra bedroom. A lot of people ask, does it mean interior or inside of the property or outside? And in this case, usually inside of the property because that's when you get that capital growth increase as well on your equity for you to go again. Um, but it, it has to be in a specific way to make sure the flow of the property allows that bedroom there. Um, and then second one is assess the rent. You have to make sure that if you do add the bedroom or maybe if you decide to divide into a home income or do a room by room rental, it's appropriate for that area. And that's why Elsa and I, we do have a power team uh, alongside us to decide if whatever you do in your renovation is suitable for the, the area that you um, doing your renovation for. And then, as you know, kitchens and bathrooms, when the tenants come in, even on your property, that's uh, where you want to be. And that's the most impressive part of the renovation when you change and you upgrade those areas. And we have showed you case studies before uh, that you can see that's just what is going to sell your rental to the perfect tenant. And then paint refresh. So basically, if your house it's with that blue wall or yellow or <laughs> orange, that's not going to be attractive. So you have to make sure that you do a paint refresh, bring it up to date to compete with ads new bills that are out there. <laughs> and then finally, flooring refresh. Um, so carpet, vinyl, depending on the area, and uh, making sure that you have that done, unless you can do a good wash on the carpet. Sometimes you can keep it to save uh, some money there. And finally, fittings and hardware, that's really the details. Uh, there is no point for you to do all the other five steps and do not 
um, upgrade uh, fittings and fixtures or hardware there uh, for your property. So what cash flow hacking it's not. Uh, so Elsa and I, we don't do any land development or feasibility. Uh, we can actually help you to understand if it will be developable or subdividable in the future. So you can unlock that yourself maybe in 10 years time, but that's not something we'll go ahead and do straight away. And then uh, it's not suitable for new builds, mainly because there is a minimal um, script manage for you to add the internal bedroom and add value to a property so the new build uh, will not be suitable for that. I think it's really important to mention as well that these six cash flow hacking steps are based on experience, are based on what we've seen work. So there are some things on this list that we've specifically included. We don't talk about really doing up the gardens because tenants don't care about it. We don't talk about painting the exterior of the house most of the time, though it can be a bit case by case, but most of the time not, because again, doesn't add to the rentability of that. Now, for, if you were renovating your own home, you probably would paint the exterior of your house. You probably would do up the gardens. You probably would do up the mailbox and a whole heap of other things. But these are the things that are going to increase the rent because what you don't want to happen is you go out there, you spend money on a renovation and then you're not getting the rental return that you need to make this a viable investment property. So you do need to treat it as an investment property. If you come to sell that property in 15, 20 years, yep, you might do up some of those things if you think you're going to sell it to an owner-occupier. Mm -hmm. But I tell you what, let's get into our first case study. And Ilsa, I'm going to hand it over to you to talk about Kathy, our 25-year-old first-generation home buyer. Great. And just to just touch on why it's existing builds that Cashflow Hacking suits, it is the opportunity from the older layouts, you know, a non-modern layout of those older houses or buildings, as well as those that have just been left to either ruin or neglected or just date. So it's using that opportunity to bring it up to be like a new build, and that's not an opportunity you have with something that has just been built because it already suits the current lifestyle. So that's a key difference to make. Okay, so case study number one. So as we briefly touched on before, and if you're new and uh, didn't quite hear the intro, uh, so Kathy is a 25-year-old first uh, first generation homeowner um, out of both sides of her family, so super impressive, a very young uh, female in Auckland who, I put the map up there actually because she was previously searching in Huntley with the budget that she was uh, she thought she could buy with and uh, just didn't really have all the confidence to kind of take some steps herself and her, it just she just felt like this wasn't really setting up her life as she wanted it to be. So she works in Manukau City, has a, um, a sales role. Uh, she currently, or she was living out east in a flat, flatmate situation, driving all the way to Manukau for her work, and then now considering to make sure she get, could get on the property ladder, she was willing to move as far out as Huntley and cope with a overall a one-hour commute every day to get to her workplace. So that was what she was expecting to do. And what Kathy really wanted was, first of all, to own her own home. So what we're going to go through in this case study is how together we helped really hone her objectives and find the right location and type of property that she could add value to because actually what she really wants on top of owning a home is to get her first investment property. She's an Avid Property Academy podcast listener and so her motivation is actually to get a rental. So she needed to get on the ladder with her own home. This is the uh, property we're going to show you through what she did to cash flow hack and add value and hack the house 
so that she is now in a position where she is looking at buying that first investment property. So step one for her is to maximise the rent from this home so that she can best set herself up to service or supplement her home mortgage, but also supplement her with her first investment property. And step two, which is the goal uh, of her, and what the purpose of this case study is about creating that $100,000 deposit. Yeah, and I think it's very important to point out here, Elsa, on, on this whole journey for Kathy, she is the first person in her family to own a home. So before her, even her parents in no one in her family owns her their own property, their own home, and she's the one, the first one to do it. So it's quite impressive, and it's such a, a big achievement for someone. Um, well, I think for her whole family, seeing her being able to do this mm -hmm. so young at 25. Yeah, and it definitely wasn't easy. She has spent years doing this. So uh, I think on one of the Instagram posts, we popped this story up. You know, if you're interested in creating uh, a deposit through raising equity and renovations, we did see a couple of comments there that how could someone so young possibly mm -hmm. have that amount of capital or, or for a deposit? But actually, she works six days a week. She has a company car. She limits her spending and she looks for deals. So there were some really interesting ways that she was, I guess, hacking her life to put herself in the position. And of course, Kiwi Saber for her first time. So moving from Huntley, which she had, uh, you know, reconciled with herself, she was going to buy. What we helped her look at was, okay, well, how do we enhance your life? How do we take advantage of the market to find something closer to work? And so by helping her refine uh, her objectives for the property and also helping her run her ROI on you know, different types of properties, physical layouts, uh, different locations and who she could attract to live with her, uh, which hints what she's about to do, <laughs> um, mm -hmm. she could actually find a location she would be happy with. And it just also has worked in her favour that the market... Uh, Auckland prices really are presenting great opportunities right now. Keep in mind, this is for her own home, so a bit more of an emotional purchase. I wouldn't say this was bought below market. In fact, it was, it was slightly below market. But what she got with this is, if you see the photos there, she has she has sea views from her first <laughs> home. Like, I don't know how many people can say that. But you can see there's some wear and there's some opportunity to improve this property. But the key result here is that by really critiquing and analysing the deals that we were assessing together, her home here in Manico is a 10-minute drive from work as opposed to a one-hour 10. Okay, and we're going to get into maybe some of the servicing side and how she did that. So we're looking at the floor plan now. So what's that? She's got a double garage by the looks of things, got a living, open plan, living, dining, kitchen, three bedrooms and a bathroom and laundry. Okay. Great, yeah, so classic three-bed, one-bath house, quite typical of the part of Minico that it's in, around 90 square metres, which really would be the minimal, uh, the minimum square metre to add a fourth bedroom. And you, as well as the square meterage, uh, what you want to check is the overall proportions of those key living areas because the proportions still need to be correct that you can create mm -hmm. a fourth bedroom without it being contrived or not working for, see, the living room, which will then need to become a combined or a, a dining and living room, uh, needs to be large enough once you remove an area that becomes a bedroom. Okay, so cash flow hack step number one is to add that extra bedroom. Now, my question is, where the hell are we going to put it? Because we've got this big open dining living room area. Usually, if there was a separate dining room or a separate kitchen, 
I've seen enough of your presentations, Elsa, today. <laughs> you tried to squirrel it away there. Now, I see there's a room in the garage, so are we going to put it there or where's the extra bedroom going to go? Oh, you lead into a great point. Uh, April Property Investor Mag, we look at garage conversion to bedroom as well as internal bedroom. And it's a really interesting point because commonly uh, an investor with a rental would like to use what is usually a larger space from within a garage to find that internal bedroom, or sorry, to find that additional bedroom. But it is far more complex, time consuming and costly in most instances because a garage was built and never intended for humans to sleep in it. It's not built in the same way that some other area from within the house has been constructed to sleep or house people. So do make sure you grab that article. We'll also be sending it out to make sure you get that detail. Um, but before we go too far, I think what we'll do is have a look at how um, Kathy was going to come up with the plan because she needed to know where she uh, she wanted to know where she could land with this property before committing to it and before knowing exactly what she would do. But it's really important to note this is Kathy's home. So what I've put down there is principal and interest or P and I. The cash flow or the mortgage cost per week is $886 and that is, if she's in this home on her own, this is what she would be paying principal and interest. It's quite a lot of money for one person, isn't it? Mm. That's a, a lot of, income. Yeah, that's yeah. a lot of money. And to, and to be honest, if it were interest only, which is most rental properties for landlords, that, that definitely helps the cash flow. But very rarely would a lender allow an owner-occupied loan to be interest only. Yeah, it, it's it's single digit percentage. Mm. Uh, okay, so the RV on this was seven sixty. You saying that she bought it for seven five six k, seven hundred fifty six thousand dollars. What sort of deposit did she put down? That's right. So two hundred thirty thousand dollars. This is her savings plus her Kiwi Saver, uh, and she had been raising funds for her deposit as well. So what she could put in was two hundred thirty k, which is north of the twenty percent that you typically see with a first home buyer, but she was putting best efforts in to keep the loan down, which is what she always continues to do. A lot of deposit for a 25-year-old yeah. there. Mm. She must be really saving. Mm. She she has saved a long time, and as I say, works six days a week. So did she get straight into the workforce, didn't go to university? Don't know, actually. Um, no, I don't think she did. Yeah, I don't she think has, she did. Yeah, yeah. She's yeah. in the car, car business, car finance. Yeah. And does very well. So she has, she does have a really good base salary, but she puts herself forward for every shift she can uh, to hit her commissions and to get the extra. In fact, she, she, she just told us that she works six days a week, so she has mm. one day off. She's really focused mm. on that goal. And that's not even accounting for the renovation funds that she has to have on mm. top of that. She yeah. was shuffling her shifts so yeah. she could come and catch up and keep tabs on what the guys were doing on site through her renovation too. So she's juggling work with her renovation. She's very determined mm. to get the best of both. Okay, so bought the house for 756, deposit 230. The loan is $526,000. So my next question is also, what's the plan to cash flow hack it? So Where do we put the bedroom? Right, so here's our after floor plan. So. Uh, on the, the three main bedrooms, bedrooms one, two, three, were the existing bedrooms in here. Now, to keep this attractive, she needed to also look at other spaces to supplement or to add features to the house along with these additional bedrooms. As you'll see, bedroom four, <laughs> you guessed it, Ed, dining room, classic four-bedroom cash flow hack. But she didn't stop there because she really wants to reduce her own servicing burden and set herself up for stronger servicing. So above the top of the page, you'll see bedroom five. This is actually a future plan, so what is great? This is her own home. First of all, in stage one, she's about to 
almost this week, complete her renovation up to the four bedroom. And then once she has the cash flow coming in, she's got her flatmates who actually are going to mostly be her friends, which is great. Uh, they will uh, start filling those rooms. And from that cash flow, she will pay for a single cabin, which is bedroom number five. And that will sit, it's not in proportion, but it will sit uh, sort of opposite the driveway, facing back to the main entrance. If you have a look at the laundry, you'll see there's a little pink square. That is actually where she will also then get consent for a second toilet. So much better for you know four or five possibly uh, flatmates yeah. in one house. So oh, this is a classic strategy that we talk about in our book, Wealth Plan, mm -hmm. in terms of uh, she's actually doing both strategies we talk about so that, so that first home buyers can get into their first investment property, mm -hmm. which is one, attack that mortgage. Mm -hmm. uh, so she's getting flatmates in, and I know we're about to go through the numbers as well. This is going to help her smash down that mortgage. And then the second thing she's also done, renovating this property, increasing the equity so she can get into mm -hmm. that next property. It's a beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, also, you said that she's adding that cabin as a fifth bedroom. Why not, and we do get this question a lot, converting the garage instead of having that cabin? Why oh, she didn't okay. do that? Yeah, really good question. So looking to add an external cabin, the cost and time to get that in place, you're looking at roughly 20 to 20, let's say $20,000 for the cabin, $5,000 for transport and piles to get that placed in, you know, and set in with power. Versus, uh, and that will take you maybe three or four weeks to have it built to order and delivered to site. It's very simple, very easy, and you can usually design the features and colours yourself. A garage conversion is not uh, is not habitable, as I've said, so you do need to go through that council process of building consent. So basically having the cabin is time and a time, time cost efficient. Yeah. 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 To better. change the garage, I remember we just talked about this at a podcast, mm. costs about fifty to sixty thousand mm. dollars. So if you think about getting the cabin in, it's going to be half the price and you still have your double garage. If you convert the garage, you might have an extra one, maybe two bedrooms in there, but you're going to lose at least one car parking spot. And on top of that, you're going to pay twice as much money. So that's the reason we'd go for the cabin. And importantly for this site, uh, Kathy has decided to pop the cabin on the front where there's a a really decent sized lawn. And the reason for this is that the other value, we're not really going into in this case study this time, mm -hmm. but it is a high intensity, so a great land development uh, site, evidenced all the way along her street, tons and tons and tons of townhouses. So she purposefully put the cabin on the front within the regulations so she can add a second dwelling to the backyard. Yeah. Excellent. Let's go through some of the specifics of the cash flow hack. So cash flow hack number one, adding the extra bedroom. Cool. Just on this one, if you have a look at the photo there, you'll notice actually this is the first time we've come across, I mean, I've seen plenty of these exposed uh, roof, uh, the beams, as you can see there, the dark brown timber beams, uh, but it's the first time I've actually seen an investor that we work with uh, add a wall with this sort of, uh, you know, rather than have a flat ceiling, mm. and actually this this oh, plays, yeah. yeah, this plays into a few of the other hacks as we'll go through the next few slides, but on the far side of what you see is that newly framed up wall, that is where that fourth internal bedroom is going. And what I would say is that typically that, you know, that easy type of straightforward room conversion can generally cost between eight and $10,000. You build a, you know, some uh, sound bats, especially because it's near a living room, uh, maybe a little electrical, um, jib stop of paint. But because of the angled ceiling, it definitely definitely threw up a few extra curveballs that we didn't anticipate. Just keep in mind that something like this is going to create a little more expense in terms of labour because of time to navigate those different 
uh, dimensions and spaces. But we managed to achieve here a close to an eight square meter bedroom. We are always aiming for 7.5 square meters plus for a single adult bedroom. Legally, you must be six, but I really feel that's pretty <laughs> inadequate and not very comfortable. So we've pulled in a bit closer on the window to the kitchen and just renegotiated the, the proportions between those original areas. Excellent. Yeah. What yeah. about the flatmates income? Oh, so Cashflow Hack, which is Assess the Rent, Cashflow Hack 2, here she was very clever to look at individual friends and she sort of scouted them out, let her know the location, got them on side early on in the picture. And I remember her toasting her friends once they um, once she got the keys. So she has she's going to get $180 per room. So it's really clever, you know, this is one flat chair. It's not a boarding house. She doesn't need to firewall every bedroom, but she is pricing each room at the market rate of $180 per week. Oh, that's pretty good. So with those two additional bedrooms, one being the dining, one being the cabin, this is 720 of border income she will get. And I know some of you might be saying, oh, the bank only accounts for a maximum of one or two, depending which lender. That's a really, really interesting valid point. Um, regardless of the actual servicing on paper, she will be getting 720 a week to help her with her servicing going forward. The best thing there, though, is if she could use that additional money to smash down the mortgage more quickly, mm -hmm. that's what's going to have the impact on servicing because your own home is one of the biggest things that's going to stop you. Your own home mortgage is going to be one of the biggest things that's going to stop you borrowing for an investment property. The quicker you can get that down, the better your servicing is going to be. So she's done a great job there. Talk to us about the kitchen. So it was really interesting because we have been on site pretty much every week to have a look at this property. And because we know that we're increasing the density of that home and it's becoming from a three to a five, we have to make sure the kitchen is functional and probably we're going to have, if not two or three people cooking there or utilizing the kitchen at the same time. Uh, we actually have been on site and, and we were just planning out, okay, so if we open this and that. So what we usually do with um, our supplier, we do ask them to do different designs until we actually get the perfect one that will be suitable for the client. So every time we always get that custom stone bench top and being her own home, I think that's something very important, mm -hmm. uh, hard wearing that she can just have it for, for a lifetime. And then uh, keep the oven location in plumbing. And you might be asking yourself, well, why is that even relevant to keep the same? What's the impact? And I think mm -hmm. Elsa can comment on that mm -hmm. because even for me, being able to be on site and, and, and seeing how things really work in the background uh, in practice, uh, we, we don't realize how much it, it can impact on the cost. overall cost. Mm, just by changing little yeah, things. Yeah, that's right. So sort of coming back to a couple of uh, limitations with those angled roof, with having that high ceiling, there were a couple of anomalies or you know strange peculiarities with this mm. kitchen that we needed to work within. And so, you know, possibly for pure aesthetics to make it look great, Kathy wanted her dream kitchen. And one of those elements would have been to move the oven, which is currently, this is a bird's eye view, by the way, top right corner, range hood oven. She would have liked to have moved that into the new wall that was framed, framed up. And that's on the left. You can see a three there. Uh, that is the new wall. Symmetry in a kitchen can look really appealing and she wanted to move it, but because of the high angled ceilings, there was nowhere for the ducting from the range hood to go out. There was no op option to have upper cabinetry leading towards a window. So as well as keeping costs down by not shifting the oven hard wiring, 
and keeping the oven in its place meant it was an immediate swap out from the old oven and appliances to a new set. So that keeps labour costs down, mm -hmm. which you can never know for sure. It's If you are really budget conscious, keep it in its location if it works. Same for plumbing. If you're moving plumbing and pipes, you're looking at upgrades for materials as well as that plumber's time. The other key... Um, a functional aspect to housing a kitchen for a kitchen to house five people is to make sure you have maximum storage. This previously was an extremely outdated kitchen, very limited storage. On the bottom uh, wall here, uh, there is the fridge, but there are uh, really tall pantries with lots of capacity and upper cabinets there mm. to suit. Let's come to the next one, which is. Uh, the paint, the flooring, and the fixtures. Oh, a couple of things here. I thought just rather than, you know, we've all seen lots of black, white interior paint. That's very much the fashion. And flooring, you know, charcoal carpet, nylon carpet, hard-wearing vinyl is sort of very, very typical. What I think is really good to talk about here is a couple of things that perhaps didn't go quite to plan or interesting points because these are things that you might come across yourself. And maybe, Danny, you might have a couple yeah. of add-ons to add as well. Um, so the interior repaint. So... This is what takes up about half of the renovation timeline. Jib stopping or plastering and then paint for an interior, so assuming ceilings, walls, maybe trims and doors. That typically takes, a, that's a full process of around three weeks for a total, you know, a full house. And in this case, there was a bit of a communication not breakdown, but going back and forth, renegotiating on many fine details, one of which was those dark beams. Should I colour match or should I white paint those beams on the ceilings? And over the course of about a week, this just took too long. And what ended up happening was the painter ended up securing another job. Um, and you might be thinking, what's the big deal here? Well, the point they were discussing was about $200 of whether I should or shouldn't spend that on the beams, and which is a fair point. But at the same time, by losing a week when we lost that painter and had to go actually called on our Whangarei, um power team to find uh, a contact of theirs um, down in Auckland, that cost a week, which we know with this mortgage is, I think, $883. Mm -hmm. So keeping things moving and making sure that you have your painter plaster secured is actually very important because when you get calendar slip, it costs you a lot more. Yeah, and things can happen very quickly with renovation. I think just being on site every week from one week to the other, the house was, well, all the demolition had been done, the bath was gone, the new frame, the new wall was going up. And if you don't make those decisions early on up front, that means more costs, holding costs to you. And I think for her being a first-time renovator, it can be a bit overwhelming, but it's been great because our builder has been really taking her hand on the whole mm -hmm. process and say, hey, this is what you have to do, this is what you have to do next. Mm -hmm. So sometimes we do hear about people that start a renovation, move in and never finish. So it's important that you have yeah. that plan so you don't get stuck. So yeah. the next thing that we all want to know, though, is where did she get to in terms of what the property value is? Because the goal Ooh. here was to make 100 k What's the property worth now? Now, this property that we're seeing on screen doesn't actually look like Kathy's one. <laughs> That's right. It actually is very, very similar. This is, in fact, a mirrored, almost a mirrored site, even section size type of house spec uh, across the cul-de-sac. Um, this was a property that sold in a different condition for around the price that Kathy bought, uh, then bought hers for. But within about three months, this property then went back on the market as a trade. So someone was trading or flipping this property. And it sold uh, within the last two months of now, sold for $920,000. So this is what we, you know, when you're looking to value, you would either go straight to a registered valuer, but you would also dig around for evidence of sales that you can compare and work out 
with the, the spec of the condition of your renovation, where you're going to land, where will that value be? So to give this is this is only one example. We realise that you would also want to look at other sources such as listings on Trade put them in ascending requested price, and talk to your sales agents and go much more thorough than this. But this is a good illustration to show you. Three bed, one bath house was flipped and put back on the market. It's a lower spec and even lesser condition than what will be the final renovation outcome of Cathy. So just to keep it conservative, we've assumed 920 and, and 20,000 for the cost of the cabin, but we haven't added in anything for the fact that she has an extra toilet and two bedrooms on top. Okay, so you're going to say the value of this property is 940k, so she's made $184,000 in terms of the property increasing in value. Now you're telling me that she spent $80,000 on the renovation, mm -hmm. so she's increased her, uh, her loan by 80 grand. So if we say sweet, she's up 184K, because that's what the value increased by, but she spent $80,000. So her deposit, or the equity within this property, has gone up by $104,000 as a ballpark. Have I got that right? Bang on. How amazing yeah. that she's done this. And if we compare the before and after, she's gone from three bedrooms to five, bathrooms gone from one to one and a half, and she's gone from paying for that mortgage herself to <laughs> very soon having four flatmates in to help pay $720 a week. So she's going to be paying off that mortgage faster and has made over $100,000 within that renovation. That is an amazing job. And now she's at the point where her ultimate goal, if you recall, is for her to buy her own first rental property, investment property. So this has given her an additional increase in deposit or usable equity, uh, as we say, that she can now lean on as she starts the search. So at this point, we are now having a look at which areas she's interested in, where can her budget afford her, it might be somewhere like Christchurch, New Plymouth, uh, Whangarei, and the reason she has been so hands-on and popping into the site and doing a little sweet equity and, and learning from our builders is that she wants to understand the process. Getting involved in the first renovation is a great way to understand the different technical speaks of the tradies and understand the critical uh, uh, processes that come with it that she can now look to challenge herself even further and she's looking to invest remotely, which is why this level of deposit around that 100 uh, or so more plus some savings is going to allow her to look for something in the regions remotely. Right, we're going to come to case study number two now. And now that you guys at home have got the basics of cash flow hacking up your sleeve or under your belt, we're going to kick <laughs> things up a notch and speed through, go through these more quickly in terms of the next case study. So also, you've asked the question here, what does 100k passive income look like? What does it look like? thought it would be best summed up by three, the three properties, plus cabin, <laughs> the three properties that Lisa and Jeremy, our second case study peer, a 50-year-old couple, or he's 50, she might, if she's listening, she might, she's 49, <laughs> he's 50. <laughs> um, so the, the, these are the exact three properties they have incredibly quickly accumulated over the last 12 months, wow. um, which I think it's important to note, not everyone buys at this pace, and certainly when you see the results out of this to, that is driving the passive income, um, they definitely have got the absolute most out of their um, coaching time with us. But this is an illustration of what can generate 
$1,000. Something that has always stuck with me is from at the beginning, we sort of thought, well, you know, why have you, have, why have you come to talk to us? You, uh, you are in a related industry service, you own a business in it, so you have a lot of local contacts in Whangarei. Uh, you also have social have social housing contacts, which is great if that's the, the direction they wanted to go to support local community. And Jeremy is an electrician who only had 12 months left to work at a refinery. So they had a lot of very usable skills. I thought, well, what do you want? They said, She said to me two things. The first thing is we can't agree on what is the right property for us, so we just haven't bought anything. And the second thing is we invest everything in our kids. It's time, and it's almost, we can see that retirement horizon. It's time we invest in ourselves. These are... <laughs> <laughs> These are two pictures I love of Lisa and Jeremy. Uh, this is Lisa in her full get up to climb into the ceiling to install insulation. And then uh, this is Jeremy on the right uh, doing um, some infill and, and supporting the builders on adding the internal bedroom to their last property that you'll see. So I, th I think these are important photos because it shows you this is such a can-do couple. They want to be hands-on. They're incredibly busy. They have two businesses, he works full-time, but they know that their income situation from a working standpoint is going to change. They wanted to make some strong inroads very, very quickly, so that was their motivation. Wanted to be as hands-on as possible to learn the process and to learn ROIs and turn over lots of deal um, analyses so that they can continue building their portfolio ongoing. Right, let's come to the first pro tip then. Now this one you've called Carmo, and it's a standalone freehold property, 110 square metres mm. floor plan, three bed and a bath, and on a subdivisible right. section. So this is the first of three projects <laughs> leading towards their $100,000 passive income, post-tax income I must add. And uh, this, I think what you'll see here is there's such an interesting um, example because you'll see projects one, two, and three sort of scaffold up in complexity. Mm. So it's through their experience and their confidence. This one here is in Carmel, which is a northern suburb, really beautiful, actually very large and very dispersed um, uh, suburb, connects back onto State Highway 1. Uh, 110 square metre floor plan, if you know that rule, three bed, you want 90 square metre plus, 110 easily with the right layout, can get that fourth bedroom in. And this actually, um, both of these standalone properties you'll see that they have bought are actually slightly higher in price than our typical. The sweet spot for the best yield is between four and 450,000. Both of the, uh, these next ones are slightly over 500,000. And it's because for them, they wanted to make sure that they had a great, easily subdivisible site every time. So that was the big backyard you saw. This is a classic cash flow hack. Uh, you'll see on the floor plan shortly. This actually um, is, you could say it's the before and after. So the, the two-tone painting was actually what the vendor previous, the previous vendor, sorry, had done. The property wasn't in a dire state. It was in a really well-presented state. All they needed to do was add up the partition that's on in the left-hand photo. You'll see the partition to the right-hand side looking back up to the hall. That is the new room that they constructed. And then the photo to the right is a second bathroom that they had consented as well. So the before snapshot, is an, it's actually quite an unusual but amazingly easy layout. You'll see a massive open plan living dining kitchen and three bedrooms along the one side. I've never seen that before. Yeah, what's unusual here <laughs> is that there's no hallway, yes. right? That, that all of the bedrooms basically come off a large open living mm, kitchen yeah. dining room. Mm -hmm. So my question is, where are we going to put the extra bedroom? That's cash flow hack. Step number one, are we going to put it in the laundry? <laughs> We're going to pop it up in the, the extra massive 
the, you know, this, the over-massive uh, living space that we have here. So bottom left corner, cosmetic, literally it arose out of nothing. So we've carved off some of that available space. Uh, and that has actually created a bit more privacy for the bathroom, which was, wasn't there before. And then to accommodate and then future-proof for such times where they, they haven't, but they might add a cabin as a fifth bedroom in future, they took uh, the other large laundry, which actually did have a second toilet already, added in um, a vanity, added in a shower, added an extractive fan, and turned that into a proper second bathroom. So it was, a, as, you, as I mentioned, the paint job was really good. There wasn't a lot to do. It was a one to two week turnaround. Again, they got very hands-on, increased the rent by $230 a week with some really cost-effective, cheap, simple touch-ups. I, I think that renovation would have been about $10,000, um, if a little more, because of their skills and just getting mucking in to learn the process. So you're telling me that adding the extra bedroom in and adding the extra bathroom adds over $200 a week to the rental potential yes. of this property. Okay. That's the other thing is, you know, <laughs> helping, it's not just about the physical attributes of a property that we're helping our clients, you know, decide what suits them. It's also tying that back to where we know there are very, very high rental demand pockets within each city that, that you know our investors are looking and knowing how to match that to where, what type of rental product, how many bedrooms, how many bathrooms are wanted in that community. Mm. Matching that is where you get the best demand for the rents. And it's not uncommon in this area to have someone see a renovation, walk up the driveway and ask if they can rent. Okay. So usually being their first investment property, going through the purchase process and just finding mm. the right property can be really stressful. Uh, doing it the first time. Can you comment, Elsa, how was the experience for, for this mm. couple buying this, this investment property? So I think yeah. there's a story there behind I, it. I eh? think it's really important that, you know, Lisa, when she was negotiating this deal, the vendor wanted $520,000. And then just before he sent her the contract, he said, no, my bottom line actually is $525,000. This was when you know, Whangarei was very hot and he sort of realised he was he was leaving a bit of cash on the table for himself. And Lisa came to me and she just said, oh, you know, oh, I don't know how to deal with this. How, how do I know if it's too much? I don't know. And, you know, trying to navigate her through the comp her confidence. And um, I passed on something to her that I was told to me by a mentor earlier on, which was that, look, whether you spend 520 or 525 if what you want out of that property is still going to deliver, be delivered to you, in 10 years' time when it's worth over $1 million, will you care whether it was 525 mm -hmm. or 520 um, and just to put it in that bigger context, it's it's important to note we, we're so used to transacting day in, day out, that this is the first project is a big deal for our investor. Let's come to the next project, which is Otaika. Uh, this is also a standalone uh, property on a prime quarter site, uh, residential and business zone, and it's subdivisible. Now, here's the current floor plan. That's got the kitchen, I'm assuming that's a dining room in the top left-hand corner, and also big lounge. You can see... Uh, a laundry and what do we got? Uh, three bedrooms and a bathroom in there. So I know what you would have done. Also, you would have added in an extra bedroom. Where'd you put it? <laughs> that extra sort of dog leg up to the left was a, an extra extension, informal lounge. So yes, we grabbed that because it, it was, was a screaming, obvious, screaming, screaming. screaming <laughs> it made sense. So we grabbed, they grabbed that there, and that was just a cosmetic wall. It actually allowed a bit more space, having that new wall on, wall on the kitchen side to add a bit of function and an extra large fridge space there. Um, now, the laundry, which is now showing as new bath two, uh, there, there is actually a hallway between the kitchen and that bathroom there. But by adding into that laundry, again, a second shower and a second toilet, 
they were able to future-proof. Now, in this project too, not only did they add that one internal bedroom, but they did, it says future, sorry, but they did actually go the full hog and add another bedroom, which was a single cabin. So this property uh, did go quite quickly um, from a three-bed to a five-bed rental. And again, because uh, we didn't show too many pictures from this one, but the interior was in a really good condition. And uh, as I mentioned, Lisa was part of, as part of the property industry. She knew someone who needed the property um, through relationships with a social housing provider. She managed to, they were basically ready to move in straight away. So she left it to just increasing the number of bedrooms and bathrooms. Plus she laid, laid some vinyl herself by watching YouTube and she got the rent up to <laughs> 700 a week. I hope she's watching my YouTube as well <laughs> while she's doing it. <laughs> Doing the flooring. I've got, I've got yeah. producer David over here nodding away as well. So <laughs> and, and I think it's what just to point out here, the loan on this property was five uh what sorry, including renovation, the total loan here was around five hundred and uh thirty thousand dollars. And so, you know, this type of rent per week in Whangarei for that total investment, seven hundred per week was a new sort of record. Um, just shows you the demand for rentals in this area, Otaika. So we've gone an increase of about $270 per week in rent mm. by adding in those two bedrooms and the additional bathroom. Just before we move on to the third project, what would they have spent on this renovation? Uh, the, the property purchase was around 500000 and so it's about a $30,000 reno. So that's the cabin. No, that doesn't include the cabin, does it? Yeah. Oh, that was when the cabins were cheaper back then. A few months ago, they found it very cost-effective. So about thirty to thirty-five thousand for the renovation. Outrageous. That was the cabin, the cosmetic wall for the bedroom, <laughs> and uh, again, she uh, Lisa laid the vinyl to upgrade the, the bathroom, and they actually installed for the most part, except the plumbing, the extra bits themselves. Okay, that's an outrageously cheap outrageous. renovation. It's Let's outrageous. come to the third project because there's a bit to this one. And keep in mind that if they hadn't added and hacked, you know, added the rooms and hacked, this definitely would have been a negatively geared property because we've over time we've moved from project one, which is sort of a two to three percent interest rate. Now we've gone into a coming into the higher rates as time has gone on. This one is really, really interesting and really was the culmination of so many skills um, and experience coming together. Um, a bit of an ugly duckling. This was one of the listing photos. It's a it's a huge beast. It's a three-story building. Um, but the, the, the magic with this property is that it's in Regent. So if you are familiar or from Whangarei, you know that is one of the most desirable postcodes. This property is on a street straight off State Highway 1, quick to you know, main accesses, but also incredibly close to the centre. Extremely high intensification to subdivide, and it is a gigantic section. It's well over, oh gosh, I think from memory, 1,400 squares. Mm -hmm. The CV was 1.075. But Lisa and Jeremy secure this for six uh, six eighty two, and that's oh wow. Right. So what happened there? How how could she pretty much pay nearly half of the CV and secure such a massive property, Elsa? They secured such a deal, such a discount. I guess it's nearly half by one of the templates that we provide as a is sort of the qualitative or a bunch of questions where you can probe to find out the motivations of the vendor, the sales agent, or you know their fatigue, and understand by digging through in due diligence, finding the property file from a property of this age, um, plus the fact that it's quite unique, it was easy to find some holes by asking these questions in the template and uncover the fact that this property had been listed for sale three times with no offers. So 
gathering the sorts of um, information and actually finding that one of the bathrooms was also unconsented. Um, there was also a question, even with council, who couldn't confirm or deny at the time initially, whether it was a legal home and income. The physical split of this house is that the upper two floors of one five-bed was one five-bed, three-bathroom house, but with one consented bathroom, and downstairs was a two-bedroom flat. And so there was this real dispute where our buyer, so Lisa and Jeremy, needed to know that they were taking on a legal home and income before renting it as such. The vendor was trying to say, uh, sorry, the council was trying to say, we have incomplete documentation for this. But then that in turn got the vendor more motivated to leave and get out of the deal because she was paying two lots of rates. So she went to the council and said, well, how am I paying two lots of rates if you're telling me this isn't legal? So we ended up helping, supporting Lisa and Jeremy to <coughs> negotiate this. And there's a, if you haven't heard of the sunk cost theory, basically by dragging out the due diligence from two to four, sorry, two to three and then four weeks, Lisa grew in confidence knowing that the more issues she raised about the property that made the vendor more uncomfortable, the more likely they were going to stay with her to try and close the deal. And I assume after the two renovations she has done, she was feeling uh, really bold and it's like, oh, well, I have done two already in the last 10 months or so. I can definitely do this last one just to close the year <laughs> in a positive way. So well done, Lisa. She found and was negotiating on this before she completed project two. So that's, that confidence level was really, really coming up. And um, although there are three floors, what we'll just show you is on the main house, the floor, which was where only one bedroom was added, it's already, it was already a five bed, three bath, one illegal, had plenty of bedrooms, plenty of bathrooms. We wouldn't just go add, although we could have probably added another three. There, these were huge spaces. And the reason for this is that this was previously a high school boarding house um, a long time back. So in terms of the resource consent and permits, a lot of really interesting ways for the right investor to develop this in future. Now, the lounge was absolutely humongous and there was a real natural way to add a fourth bedroom in there without compromising at all the overall living space. And to accommodate that large number of bedrooms, the kitchen, as I say, it had been a boarding house, was really substantial and in great condition. Now, I know we're tight for time, but I'm going to ask you this anyway. Usually, if I looked at that floor plan, I would have expected you, now having seen many floor plans before from, from Opus Accelerate, I would have thought you would have put the bedroom in the kitchen because that would allow it to open directly onto the hallway. But in this case, you've added the bedroom right into the lounge so that the bedroom only opens onto the lounge, not into the hallway. Why did you not put it in the kitchen? There would have great been a reason. Question. Great, great question. The kitchen, we don't have a picture of it, unfortunately, but it was actually, a, it was probably the nicest room in the house. So you're looking at the combination of all the variables you're working with to evaluate and decide where you should pop that room. But with this kitchen, it actually had been probably renovated in the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. It was, you know, glossy white, really modern um, joinery, um, handles, it looked really great. Um, and the lounge, honestly, it, oh gosh, it must have been 60 or 70 square metres in itself. Over the three floors, this is an almost 400 square metre house mm -hmm. or floor plan, giving you a size of the a sense of the scale. The most cost effective thing to do was to add in that basic partition and not touch the kitchen. That's where costs would have escalated. Because the kitchen was nice already, no yep. point ripping it out and rebuilding the whole exactly. thing. Makes more sense. Let's go downstairs. Now, this property, if you saw on the summary, actually... You know, you might think home and income, that's two incomes, but this here is the downstairs. This 
This is the ground floor. It's a bit of an odd configuration, but it actually was completely legal into the original hand-drawn drawings from the 70s. Two-bedroom unit downstairs. There was really nothing to do here. Uh, probably could have had a little more of an uplift in rent cosmetically, but it was actually perfectly fine. Now, separately, the storage on the left, there is a firewall, and that was the garage. Lisa, obviously just absolutely taking hitting a stride with her investment head, then decided that would become a third storage income because of the number of uh, sort of roading clients and corporate clients who were uh, working on a lot of infrastructure in Whangarei that she had contact with needed storage. So she actually separated the garage from what from where it was attached to downstairs and uh, increased her rent by $150 as storage. Wow. So out of one Oof. purchase, she got three and Jeremy got three incomes. That's quite clever. So Very they've clever. gone from about seven bedrooms in this property to eight bedrooms. Bathrooms are the same, but they've added in that storage as well. So they've gone from $700 a week to almost 1250 bucks a week. So they're up $545 a week. That is outrageous. Yeah. And the interesting thing is in terms of where they're going to next, these guys are 50 years old. They've got 12 months remaining on their two incomes and they wanted to build that 100K passive income. And yep, they were willing to get as hands-on as possible. So they owned their own home, their businesses. Now they've got five different rental incomes and on top of that, three subdivisible sites in varied locations around Whangarei. That is going to set them up for life. And the beautiful thing here is whenever we're creating property investment plans for investors, we always run 15-year cash flows. Mm. Now, for these guys, they want that 100 k passive income after tax to start in 15 years. And when we're projecting out what the rental income is going to be per year, when we look at what it's going to be in 15 years' time, even with these new tax changes, we're looking at just over $100,000. And over that time, those properties are still going to be producing income as well. And so that's how we get the 100 k made out of cash flow as well. I think what's important to note here as well is that you know some of you might be thinking, hang on a minute, this is actually interest only. So hang on, they turn 65, they still have these three debts. So... The, the key thing here, which we haven't included, is that this is, you know, they, they will be getting that net post-tax $100,000 per annum from that year 65, but they also own a business which they can sell. They can pay down debt that way. They might otherwise sell one of the, maybe the lesser performing of the three to reduce debt and unlock more cash flow as well. And also we haven't included at all their KiwiSaver, which they would qualify at that point too. So they have several different levers at play or different options um, that, they, would, they can use if they like. Plus, keep in mind, there are, all of their sites are, are massively subdivisible. So they have a number of exit strategies. Um, and also, you might be thinking that, hey, this is so hands-on if, if this is how it has to be done. Um, I, would, I would probably just say that they are definitely at the extreme of getting in and mucking in. This is definitely something that can be achieved, but some of the numbers would be different, obviously, if you're going to have to outsource and pay for labour per hour. Now, we're about two minutes away, two to five minutes away from where I give you your bonus, which is that if you stick right to the end of the webinar, we're going to invite you onto one of our private live workshops where you're going to see an investor break down a deal. But just before we get to that, I always like to learn a bit about the audience. And so we're going to run a couple of polls. So I'm about to put across your screen, which would you prefer right now? Would you prefer 100 grand equity for a deposit? So that's basically our first case study. 
Or would you prefer to build a 100k passive income, like our second case study? Or do you actually not need either because you're golden right now, which is, <laughs> if you are, that's a beautiful thing. I'm going to pop that across your screen, and we're going to get to know you guys in a, in a moment. And once we get maybe half of, half of you answering that, we'll pop that across everybody's screen. <laughs> the wonderful thing, you guys can't see this at home, but we get to see your answers come in live. It's almost like a, 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 you're at the horse racing yeah. track. Yeah, it's like, cool, so we're going to end oh, that poll in three, two, one. End that poll, and I'm going to share those results with you. So about a third of you here tonight are saying we want to build equity for a deposit. Uh, another two-thirds of you are saying we want the passive income. And one of you, one person, says, nah, I'm golden. That's a beautiful I thing. <laughs> well, we can actually see that. The next question that I'm going to ask you, and I'm going to put it across your screen, is how you prefer to renovate. So would you prefer to renovate in a very hands-on way? That would be like our, our second uh, investor tonight. Or would you prefer to be a little bit more hands-off? Again, I'm going to put this on. Would you prefer to learn to renovate yourself or get somebody else to do it for you? So option number one, learn to do it yourself. That's being hands-on. Option number two, get someone else to do it for you. That's if you want to be a bit more passive. <coughs> and again, we're going to end that in about three, two, one. That's interesting. It, it was about half and half mm. right until the end. Um, so about 60-odd percent of you are saying, hey, we want to learn to do it ourselves. And about 40% of you are saying, you know what, we're actually fine. We'd prefer somebody else to do it for us in a passive way. So what we're going to talk about now, though, is how you can potentially work for us, with us, I should say. And I do want to talk about this because some of you on the call tonight, on the webinar, you will know everything about us. You've listened to every podcast. You've come to every webinar. But some of you guys are new tonight. And so I do want to mention that whether you want to learn how to renovate yourself, we can help you with that. Similarly, if you want somebody else to renovate properties for you, we also do that. Now, these are paid services um, because the one-year coaching program is very hands-on as the, the investors you've seen tonight have gone through. Uh, similarly, if we're renovating the property for you, there's also a cost for that. But what I do want to say <laughs> is in terms of if you did want to work with Ilsa and Danny in order to build your property portfolio, it isn't going to be the right fit for everybody, and that's perfectly fine. For instance, if there's a voice in your head saying, I want to get rich quick, or I want to flip property, or you know what, guys, I like you, but 15 to 20k plus GST, just too much for me to invest. Absolutely fine. This just isn't going to be the service for you. Working with Opus Accelerate isn't going to be the right fit for you. And similarly, uh, the, we work with specifically in Whangarei, Auckland, Hamilton, New Plymouth, Christchurch and Dunedin. So the main centres around New Zealand, but we're not in Wellington, we're not in uh, the Hawke's Bay, we're not in Gisborne. There are specific parts of the country that we're helping in. So look, what I want to offer you, just in case you're, you're sitting at home and you're thinking, God, I'd love to do some renos like the, the case studies I've seen tonight, I am going to offer you a 30-minute Zoom call uh, with both Danny and Ilsa in order to talk about the program, either if you want us to help renovate properties for you 
or if you would prefer to go through that coaching program that comes with a portal, that comes with 12 months working with these guys one-on-one. Now, you don't have to know which one you specifically want, but if you want to have a chit-chat with these guys about your portfolio, I'm going to put a poll across your screen. If you're keen, click the top one. We'll give you a call tomorrow to book. If it's not the right fit for you or you're a current client, absolutely no worries. Just click the uh, bottom one, and that is absolutely fine. We won't give you a call. And I'm just going to pop that across your screen now as well, <coughs> just so you've got that option as we're going. Ah, in the meantime, if you guys have any questions from everything we've presented today, now's the time for you to pop up on the Q&A and we'll be spending probably a good 15, 20 minutes just answering those. So now it's your last chance to, to pop that in there. Uh, but I can see we have quite a few. So thank you. That's really good. And the one thing I'd also say just as we're going is that if you want to learn more, you can also follow us, or you should follow us, on our Instagram. We are at Opus Accelerate, and this is really cool because you're going to be able to see Ilsa and Danny on their own sites, on uh, our investor sites as well, <coughs> doing the renovations and helping people grow their wealth. And so uh, specifically the stories is what you want to follow Opus Accelerate for. Uh, as Danny said, we're about to jump into questions, but just before we do that, I told you that if you stayed right to the end, that I would give you an offer to come to one of our private events. Now, all you have to do is I'm going to put another poll across your screen. You just have to tip, tick one of those buttons, press one of them. Either, yes, please sign me up, or why not I'm in. <laughs> if you don't want to come, if you're saying, oh, it was a great webinar, but actually I don't, I don't need to see the deals, no worries at all. Um, just don't click uh, on the poll. I'll put that across and leave it on there so that you've got the ability to uh, to sign up for that if you want because it's Come been great us. having you. Right, we're going to rip into questions and we'll probably be here for another 20 minutes answering them. These are always a lot of fun and we often have a lot of people come, um, uh, answering back and forth and sticking around for this. So, uh, Daddy, kick it off. What's the first right, question so coming up? Justine has asked, and that's actually a very valid question. Um, she has a five-bedroom property that will be demolished in the future. Now she wants to know if it's even worth going ahead and spending money on a renovation in a situation like this when you will develop the property mm. in the future. I think it's important to work out what timeline. Uh, first of all, what are your immediate needs from the property right now, and can the property... Uh, as it stands, um, provide you with what you want. And then the second question would be, uh, or in response to this, would be what is the timeline before which you are going to either develop or demolish? Um, and I guess along with that, what's it going to cost you? Is there cash flow that you're relying on or that you have passive income from right now um, that is going to grow probably 5% a year? And in which case it's good to hold it. Um, it will also come down to your LVR position. So depending on whether you're paying tax on it and, and have a loan on the property, a few different factors. But when we work with investors who um, are looking at both, you know, with existing properties, those are the two benefits. One, an existing build can be cash flow hacked, modernise the layout, add value, upspec the property, get the best rental performance and add equity. But the second thing is um, that land development opportunity. Those are the two benefits from it. So... It's important that you understand what's involved with that development and what you can develop. So feasibility is a large part of that first step. Um, but one question we always ask our investors is, okay, is what is your expected timeline before you develop? 
you wouldn't go and spend a couple hundred thousand dollars to then go and demolish and build in five years. You'd be undoing all of that massive investment uh, and not getting enough return from it. There's an excellent question from Jeff that I think we should answer. He asks, which companies do you recommend for the cabins? And are we just talking about single bedroom cabins, no ensuite, no toilet? Also, what ones are we talking about? Great. It's really important to define. So uh, when we talk cabins, we basically we basically mean um, a, a bedroom or a sleep out. Uh, a room without plumbing, so no kitchenette, no bathroom. The moment you start to add in plumbing, these uh, types of configurations require building consent. If there is a kitchen, it would most likely be deemed a separate dwelling. So one house with a kitchen is, is deemed one dwelling or residence. A second kitchen usually defines there's a second dwelling and you need consent for that. So that's separate to a cabin or a sleep out, which is purely for purposes of sleeping and uh, to be part of the same tenancy there. Um, there are a couple of companies that our clients do commonly use. Uh, one is called uh, Dreamtime Cabins, and the other one is Titan Homes. So I highly recommend go check out their uh, workplaces or their websites and have a look at the different products. There are five or six key parameters or rules that you need to comply with, which you can find if you look up any council website or um, actually if you Google 30 square meter detached building, comply with the five or six rules there, which are spacing and a few different uh, technical um, considerations, and you actually won't need consent if you follow the rules. I want to answer Justine's question. She asks, do you work with people living overseas, specifically doing these renovations, Ilsa? We do, we do work with uh, investors from overseas. In fact, what a really common scenario we find is that uh, you know, someone from New Zealand goes over on the OE, picks up someone from the UK, falls in love, moves back. And so there's often a phase of the couple living in New Zealand and then in future they move to the other side of the family in the UK. Um, and so what's really great with learning the skills through the coaching is that once you do understand the strategies, the return on investment calculators, the various templates, uh, then it's very easy to shop online and with a power team on the ground, we can help you execute. Well, speaking of power teams, Taylor Green has got a wonderful question. He asks, does it matter if I don't live in one of those main power team cities in order to work with Opus Accelerate in terms of the coaching program or are those just the places that you guys like to invest? Yeah, so the way that we have our, you know, that New Zealand map that um, Ed put up before, where we have our power teams around the country is predominantly Main regional centres, uh, obviously Auckland and Christchurch being the largest cities and Hamilton, and then where the market uh, pricing uh, is good. So through the demand and the uh, ability of us to, uh, sorry, and the ability to get the right results for our investors with, if they're aiming for the 8% gross yield, which is typical for a standalone property our investors achieve, um, if they're, yeah, to set them up for success, we have specifically leveraged where we have those supplier teams. That's not to say that we wouldn't uh, establish a team in Rotorua or Gisborne or Wellington in the future. It comes down to the opportunity at the time. But you can be a remote investor and we can work with you. Most of it, to be honest, is run through Zoom. Um, and you know, on the ground and on site where you want to, where it's appropriate. But it's completely possible to be remote when you have a trusted team on the ground. Yeah, so we have also a question here from Chris Morgan. And he's asking, what is the impact of renting uh, a property that's four bedrooms and when should you add that second bathroom or just keep with the one bathroom so that really comes down to the area and that's principle number two when we assess the rent some areas would be okay for you to have a four bedroom one bathroom 
but uh, you have to do your research and have a look through Trade Me, Property Guru, and if you go back on our previous webinar, I will show you there how to do it to understand if if you rent a four bed, one bath, will that be competitive with all, all the listings that you have in your area? So it's really important for you to do your research. So it's not a straightforward answer there, but if you go and do the background work, you should know if it's essential for you to have the mm. second bathroom or not. Adding that second toilet into a four bedroom house needs to be appropriate for the location and the most likely tenant type or the tenant that you want to attract. I really like Tob's question. He asks, can the Burr strategy, the buy, renovate, rent, refinance and repeat, the standard renovation strategy, can that work in a small rural town if there's enough high demand for rentals or is it just safer to stick with the larger cities? Mm. So the Burr strategy is a methodology that can work and you can apply the principles uh, in a general sense in any location. We prefer to, uh, to match that up with strong economies and so regional centres. So for example, New Plymouth versus a Stratford. We're looking for the centre of that region where the powerhouse of the economy and the most diverse employment is there to support that. If you are looking, you know, there might be high rental demand in a smaller town and uh, you can still follow the, the principles and add bedrooms and fulfil demand. It also comes down to what you want to get out of that project. So is it simply that, hey, there's a really high rental demand, I'm going to uh, make the most of this and add the bedrooms and toilets I can to meet that demand and get a great rent return? If that's your goal, then fantastic. The adding value aspect of it to create the deposit will come down uh, to different variables based on uh, the, the comparable market stats of what price, uh, what the houses are selling for um, of the final spec. So if you're converting from a three-bed one to a four-bed one, um, what are the sales values in that location? And the risk is that in smaller towns, there may not be many data points to compare your property to. Mm. Now, Isaac has a very relevant question here in regards to cabins. Does the cabin have a, ba a bathroom usually or and, and what's the total cost for you to add the cabin? Mm. So uh, if you look at the supplies, there will be quite a few available on sites like TradeMe, but if you do look at uh, Dreamtime Cabins, Titan Homes, you can have a look through their menu on the website and there are both uh, sort of standard uh, cabins um, and sleepouts with different um, functions. So maybe there's a kitchenette plus a, an ensuite, or maybe there's a full kitchen plus a bedroom and lounge. Depending what you want and the space you have, you can either look to match the size and dimensions of ones to your site, or you can often request uh, custom as well. There's a really interesting question from Ida that I'd love you to answer, Ilsa. They ask, is there a specific area outside of Auckland where you are seeing great rental returns for cash flow hacks right now? Where would you recommend? Rent returns are better in most places than in Auckland. Uh, <laughs> uh, except for <laughs> Queenstown. <laughs> yeah, except for Queenstown or possibly the Mount. <laughs> um, so uh, typically, traditionally, uh, regional centres, again, are great for yield. Uh, I mentioned during the webinar that there is statistically proven as well, Ed has shared this in um, podcast episodes previously, that below $500,000 properties, uh, the yield is proved to be uh, higher than where you were buying a property, say for a million dollars, because the rent 
the increase in rent just cannot uh, keep up with that value growth. So uh, great places right now, there's um, Christchurch, there's an extreme lack of family homes. Um, and Taranaki in general, there's a, uh, and out east, really um, strong population growth, as in Whangarei. So these are some, these are parts of the insights and the data that we look at uh, to help our investors find the right properties, even at the suburb level. What are the de- what is the demand for various property types, and how do we find the right house to cash flow the hack that into the physical property that we can see has the highest demand right now? I'm going to ask Derek's question. I quite like this one. So Derek asks, can Opus 360, which is the uh, the service where Ilsa and Daddy will project manage that renovation for you, he asks, can that service, Opus 360, help me convert my current home, which is five bedrooms, two bathrooms, can I turn that into a home and income so that I get some extra rent and then on top of that, I get some extra equity, which will help him get into the next, uh, the position to buy the next property. Does Opus 360 help with home and income conversions? I'll let you answer that one first, Danny, and then I'll add another point. <laughs> awesome. So um, for 360, we still follow the six principles that I we have presented earlier on the webinar. So it means that it has to be time and cost effective. For a home and income conversion, that means that you do need council consent. And depending on your council, it can take over than 12 months for you to get that. So usually we can help you with the vision and the bedrooms and the cash flow hacking um, plan, but we would not be involved with the consenting part because it can probably, yeah. It's very very open-ended. That is actually a a project type, so converting... Uh, separate, you know, a standalone house with a separate garage into home and incomes, or a top-down conversion of a large house converting into a main house up top and minor dwelling downstairs. Mm-hmm. We have completed several of those with our investors through the coaching program. That would be more appropriate than through 360 uh, for the nature of uh, the number of people involved and the variables. You know, it's additional people that we don't typically need mm-hmm. for a cash flow hack. A drafts person, council involvement, um, drain layers. Uh, it's a lot more complex um, and isn't within the standard scope of a, a typical cash flow hack that is time and cost effective. So it's, it's sort of outside of a 360, um, but it's definitely uh, for the right risk appetite or someone who wants to get that sort of experience, definitely um, definitely suits within the coaching program. What I would say, though, is that it's probably not a first-time project type um, if you haven't renovated before because there are a few unknowns both with time and cost. Um, A final point on that, home and income conversions, converting one main dwelling into two in this market for most regional or local markets where uh, property values are flat to declining at the moment or uncertain, uh, and it's not the best time to convert because the nature of converting into two is that you want to increase the rental return but also increase massive equity. And if the market is declining and you still haven't completed this project in 12 months, you might undo all of the equity that you intend to create and you haven't finished the job. So you can actually do yourself a disservice. That strategy is best in a growth market. Well, I'm going to jump to anonymous attendees question. And I think he's asked it for me. When do you see interest rates decreasing? 
So let's talk about the shape of interest rates. I've just done an excellent video. I'll get producer David to share the screen for this. Excellent video on my interest rate predictions. This came out uh, last Wednesday, so it was very, very relevant. You can see that it's already had um, over 8,000 views. So I'd recommend you have a, a watch of that uh, for a full kind of seven to eight minute analysis. But what I'd say is that I do see interest rates peaking about March this year. So this is my forecast compared to ANZ's, uh, ANZ Bank's forecast. You can see they see interest rates kind of peaking now. They think we're at the peak, 6.6%. That's roughly what they're charging at the moment, though, of course, they've got big discounts if you go directly to, uh, if your mortgage broker is any good. Uh, some of our brokers have got around 6% from ANZ for the one-year rate at the moment. Um, so <laughs> I'd expect that we are currently at or very near the peak of interest rates, particularly the one-year rate. And I think they will start to slowly decrease as we get to the tail end of this year. So ANZ saying, you know, maybe we'll get to 6 6.4, 6.3% by the end of the year. That'll start coming down. Um, I release only a one-year forecast. So I think for the next year, we'll probably see around 7%. You can see I'm a bit more conservative than ANZ. I expect that by the time we get into 2024, we'll probably be low sixes. We'll probably come back a bit. Bear in mind that at the moment, we have seen uh, BNZ as well is currently offering about 4.99%. Um, I think I can say that. 4.99% uh, for uh, a one-year one-year fixed rate, if you're going directly to uh, if you're going to them as a not new customer, so so for example through a mortgage broker, uh, but there isn't any cash back there. So we're already starting to see competition uh, in the banking market heat up, and that is already causing mortgage rates to come down. Not in terms of what's being advertised, but in terms of the effective rates that people are able to get at the moment. Of course, this all comes down to inflation and when inflation will actually come down. Uh, this is the forecast from all of the major financial institutions in the country. Uh, according to the Reserve Bank and many others, uh, we've already peaked in terms of inflation and they're expecting that to come back within the target band uh, mid, mid to late 2024. But of course, I will refer you to that excellent video on uh, our interest rate predictions so you can understand exactly what we're talking about there. I think I know why that video had 8,000 uh, views, Ed. It's just your thumb, thumbnail on your face. like. <laughs> oh, daddy, you flirt. Uh, what's the next thing that we've Next question yeah, for us? So we, we have an anonymous, anonymous question here about gross yield. So after cash flow hacking, what would be a, an ideal cash um, yield that we can get from our projects also? Sure, okay. So gross yield for anyone who... Um, uh, would like the definition for that. So gross yield, how we look at things when we're assessing a potential cash flow hack property, uh, is the weekly income multiplied by 52 to get an annual rent divided by the total debt. And for the most part, uh, investors we work with are buying with 100% debt. So that's 40% as equity on um, a, a separate property, 60% on the property they're purchasing, and most commonly also debt for the renovation. So we want to keep that money working and debt working as efficiently as possible, a single income or standalone house, like most of the examples you saw tonight, uh, our investors will achieve 8% gross yield. And if you can really get a deal below market, as is possible, pushing up into the nines, there are there is the odd um, project that would still make sense if it were a six or seven, and actually a couple of uh, Lisa and Jeremy's fit that camp. It's a balance of 
the yield, you know, how, how much of a cash flow performance versus land development opportunity that buyer wants. For a multi-income uh, cash flow hack, we would expect a gross yield of at least 10% after we've added the value. So that's part of the assessment we would take our investors through in due diligence. So we've probably got time for two more questions. I'll ask one, Daddy will ask the last one. I want to go to Eddie's question, which says, does it always have to be adding a bedroom or bathroom? Can I do up a tired house and maybe add a cabin? Does that still count as adding the extra bedroom? That's, that is a great question. You don't necessarily have to up-spec or add bedrooms or bathrooms. It depends uh, also on another variable, which is the condition of that interior. How dated or neglected or run down mm -hmm. or horrific is it? Uh, just keep in mind that there's a fine line between overspending. Uh, not every broken down house is worth uh, is going to give you the return that you might need to spend to get it to a habitable, you know, a healthy home condition. Um, sometimes you can overspend, so that's what you want to be careful with. But where you find the right balance um, with the cost of the reno being a suitable proportion, even if it is cosmetic, uh, to the overall value or price of the house, it's important that you're getting a return on that spend either way. So we like to aim for a $2 return on $1 of renovation. And a good formula there might be, say for example, a, a property of 500,000 uh, purchase, you might look to spend 50 or 60,000 on a reno and you would want to get 100 to 120 back. Great. Excellent. Last question from Danny. Last question. So how do I know how much uh, value can be increased when uh, you buy the first your first home and then how do you find uh, the most potential, uh, well, Oh yeah, so when you do a comparison, how do you know the end value? And I think that's going back to your initial analysis. So first of all, you have to know what's going to end up. So if you're transforming from a three to a five, you have to go and trade me and start doing that analysis. And that's something that Elsa and I do on behalf of our clients and we help them help them um, go through the whole process. Now it's important that the renovation is time effective because if you take six months to do a renovation you have done that analysis maybe last year now it will no longer be valid and maybe the market has gone down and you will not get that same result that always goes back to the data data crunching and finding a comparison online i would highly recommend what replaying our november webinar which is called deal or no deal where we talked about stacking the deal so uh, how do you work out an appropriate price to pay for the property how much to spend on the renovation and what how can i follow two or three steps to work out what the post-renovation rent will be and post-renovation value be. That's where we, well, what we call st stacking the deal and there are a couple of really good case study examples you can follow. Right, we're going to wrap it up there, but I just want to say thank you so much for joining us on our webinar this evening. It has been so wonderful having you here. Thank you for all of the questions and for participating in the chat. Now, if over the next couple of days you think, you know what, I wouldn't mind checking out the coaching service from Opus Accelerator. I wouldn't mind checking out that Opus 360. All of the details are on our website, so always feel free to get in touch. We're going to be back here in another three months to take you through another renovations webinar. Until next time, thank you so much for coming. Guys, thank See you. you guys later. Bye. Thank you so much.